Welcome to the Treeleaf Zendo podcast. Treeleaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. I want to again greet you here from 2022 in the future, uh, which is just the present, which is just a, an auspicious day. But for our, you know, us Zen people, the wonder of Zen is we truly believe that every day, every moment, every moment with, within a moment is an auspicious new year for us. Of course, it's a kind of artificial demarcation we make that one more time around the sun and uh, some astronomer centuries ago figured out there's something special perhaps about today, though really the Chinese believed for, for centuries and the Japanese that the, the New Year is in February, which is why you have the Chinese New Year. So, you know. It's all how you look at this, but we Zen folks pointed out that every moment, every instant is a time when you can make also new resolutions. Why not? Why does it have to be just today? Now, I'm a little proud, if I may say, even a Zen guy can be a little proud. I stuck to my diet last year. Pretty good. Pretty good. You know, I can't say I didn't have, you know, a little day a little chocolate cake here or there all right what i you know but pretty good and every day since I, since i got my uh vaccination uh uh last year uh have been to the gym without missing so you know that's uh that that is my uh uh resolution but for this year i, I like to keep resolutions that are easy to keep so uh, my resolution is just to keep sitting Zazen with all of you, you see. That's my resolution. And uh, I'm so glad we are all here today. This is, uh, if you ask me, one of the, the most beautiful ways to celebrate the passing of, of the year, uh, being all together and just sitting here. Well, everybody is out running around trying to have a, a good time and find it, you know? We know it's all just here, man. It's all just here. And if you go out and you have a good time too, it's there too. I said that, you know, at the at the beginning that for Zen people, New Year's is equanimous because we accept conditions. But it's there's a joy there. There's a joy. It's a different joy than most people go out and just want to get happy, happy all the time. The champagne sure helps with that for a little while until the next morning. I, I admit that, right? Going to a party, no problem. A lot of fun and enjoy the party when you're at the party. But we're joyous even when life is how to say, you know, as life is. This is the beauty of our way. Uh, 
our equanimity is a strange equanimity because equanimity seems to say that, oh, I'm just numb. I take it all. Whatever comes, I'm a stoic, you know, just a stoic. But our, and I believe actually the ancient Greek stoics, I've been corrected on this in the past, might have actually agreed with what I'm about to say. There is a lot of commonality between Zen and Stoicism. There's a joy in the Stoicism of accepting it all and going for the whole ride, man. So it's beautiful to be on this ride with you for one more year. Okay, now, as I said, I promised you magic. This is one of the most, how to say, out of this world sections of the already wild Vimilakirti Sutra, which is typical of all the Mahayana Sutras, man, there's some real magic here. And I want to show you that this magic is real. Now, this is coming from me, who is, even in the Buddhist world, known for being kind of a stick-in-the-mud skeptic, okay? Guy comes to me, uh, what do you think about uh, crystals? Don't believe in them. What do you think about the Durrani chants? We chant that and it'll make the, the rain fall. Uh, I don't think so. I think the rain falls because of precipitation and all that. All that stuff you learned in high school. Well, what do you think? Uh, th this week uh, I immediately jumped on. Someone said um, uh, the, the subject came up about uh, the, the secret. You know that if you have... Uh, the law of attraction, if you just think of something, it will come into your life. I said, I don't believe it. Don't believe it. I believe in a little positive thinking. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with a little positive thinking. But I don't believe that if I say, I want that promotion at work. I want that promotion at work. That, that is not going to bring it to you. It may get, help your attitude. But hard work, man, hard work will get you that promotion. Not any incantation not any magic spell, not any amulet, okay? So this is who this is coming from. But I am going to promise you that before this talk is over, you will realize that all the magic and wonder described in the Vimalakirti Sutra is as true as true can be. How? Okay, well, before we get reading it, I'm going to tell you a couple of ways right off. As I've said, I've had people come to me and say, you know, I don't get these Mahayana sutras with these wild characters and all this, this stuff. I can't read that. So I say to them, where, where are you going this afternoon? Oh, we're going to binge, binge watch Lord of the Rings on Netflix or Star Wars. I go, oh, wait a second. You don't get this? Oh, yeah, but Lord of the Rings is great, man. That's great. Now, then I say to him, well, is there a real message in Lord of the Rings? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's about greed. You know, I want that ring. Precious, precious. You know, the whole thing with the ring and uh, good versus evil, right? Is there a real? Yeah, I, there's a real message. there. Okay. But here I don't get it. I don't get it. And I try to say it's the same. It's the same. In the past, maybe there was less of a border than we have now in our modern times between fiction, nonfiction. Though, admittedly, reading the news these days, people are getting it all confused again, you know? 
There, truth is relative. Whatever I think or somebody said on the internet must be true, even if my doctor says it's not true. No, no, no. Your doctor <laughs> is true, and the guy on the internet is maybe not. Okay, so we gotta. It's good to separate what is factual from what is just somebody's wild thinking. But again, in the past, it may not have been so clear. So when people had truths to ex express, they mixed the, the real world, as we say it, and legend and myth and magic and trying to explain, they didn't have science, trying to explain why things are as they are. They realized some things but they couldn't explain it. So they made up explanations, but to them, they were real. I, when I was in France, I went down to the caves and saw the ancient cave paintings. You know, I think they're 40,000 years old, give or take 10,000 years, something like that. And they wanted to catch a, an antelope. So the guy would draw, you know, an antelope with a human body and an antelope's head and a guy with a spear, because on the wall, it wasn't just art. It, they were doing some magic somehow to bring the antelope. Okay. It's real. Why is it real? They need to catch antelope to eat, to survive. And somehow that painting on the wall is conveying the truth that they want the antelope to come and be caught. So they honor the antelope and the power of the antelope. They're trying to understand. But there's a truth there about hunting and the need to survive. There are also truths here. What happened was, if you ask me, Buddhism discovered some real, liberating, fantastic, and I use that in the word just like wonderful, fantastic ways to appreciate reality to leap beyond suffering and our separation and to feel the wholeness and flowing of all things. And it's so hard to convey. It's so hard to convey. And it's a little dull if you just say it straight, to be honest. But Buddhism found that it was perhaps easier to convey how fantastic this was if you did it in a fantastical way, we say fantasy, but I mean in a, in a way that's fantastical, like a musical fantasy, like that. So all the, the decorations in Buddhist temples, you see, and all the, the wild doctrines often have to do with taking these kind of dry teachings and making them understandable or appeal to the heart in fantastic imagery. Um, and that's, I think, what we're seeing here today. So let's get into it a little bit. And uh, I'll try to show you this. Now, it starts off with one of the most famous scenes, the great musical chairs of Vimalakirti. At that time, Shariputra, observing that there were no seats in Vimalakirti's room, thought to himself, hey, 
all these bodhisattvas and major disciples, they're coming to the wedding. They all got invitations. Remember, he, he summoned everybody to come. So everybody and his uncle is coming, you know, to the Vermilakirti's house, right? Where are they going to sit? And the rich man, Vermilakirti, knowing what was in his mind, said to Shariputra, hey, did you come here for the sake of the Dharma or are you just looking for a place to sit? I came for the Dharma, not for a seat, said Shariputra. Now we're going to get back to the chairs in a bit, okay? But before we do that, I want to show you something here. This again is how Mahayana Buddhism and the Vimalakirti Sutra gives us everything we want when we stop looking for it. So if we jump ahead, Shariputra and everybody else are going to get their seat. Okay? When they stop looking for a place to sit. It's a little bit like uh, I say that if you want to find your true home, stop looking. Where's my true home? Where will I feel at home? And just be at home here. How are you at home here? By resting your heart here. Now that's magic. That's magic. So we're going to see now that all the teachings of Buddhism are not thrown out. They're discovered, they're found again when we stop running after them, grasping after them. All right, let me read this section. Ah, Shariputra, a seeker of the Dharma does not seek it through attachment to the Buddha. You do not seek it through attachment to the Dharma. You do not seek it through attachment to the order, the Sangha. And he goes on, a seeker of Dharma does not seek it through a recognition of suffering. He's reading the Four Noble Truths here. You do not seek it through renunciation of attachments. You do not seek it through realization of how to end attachments. You do not seek it through practice of the way. Why? The Dharma is ultimately without formulas, formulation and without verbalization. Now, let me, let me say, say this again. Where's Buddha? Rest your heart. No need to say anything. But right here. How do I end my suffering? I'm seeking and grasping after ending suffering. Stop the seeking. Open your hands and stop the grasping and rest. And suffering flies away, I guess. You see, it's the seeking and the grasping itself 
that is the cause of our suffering. It is the seeking and grasping after things, including the Buddha, including the teachings, which is why we cannot realize the Buddha and teachings. Our practice is to put down the seeking, put down the grasping. Now, people ask me, how old is Shikantaza Zazen? I say as old as all this, because that's it. When it says here, don't seek, don't be attached, don't grasp, don't run after things. What are we doing in Zazen? Sitting in our equanimity, not seeking anything but Zazen itself. That's the reason. Don't grasp anything. Just lightly hold your hands together and sit. You see? This is how old Shikantaza Zazen is. This is why. Our practice is like this, and I'm always talking about no place to go, nothing more to attain. Just this is the only doing to do because of this. How much more magic can I give you than that? Really? Now, let's see a little more. Now, of course, this is, as soon as I explain it, it's like explaining chicken soup or explaining swimming. Well, the explaining, what is chicken soup? I can explain to you. You take a chicken, you put it in a pot, you put some water, that's chicken soup. No, you got to taste the chicken soup. I can't describe swimming to you. You got to jump in the pool. It's the same here. So our way, we say, is not just talking about this. You have to experience the non-seeking experience the liberation of all this. So he says, whoever ver verbalizes, suffering should be recognized. Attachment should be eliminated. Cessation should be realized. The path should be practiced. Is not really interested in the Dharma, but is just interested in verbalization. Don't just talk about chicken soup. Cook up that soup and taste it for yourself. Maybe as a Buddhist, people say, well, you shouldn't be talking about chickens. But I always remind people, we're not quite as vegetarian as people think. So, But if you want to substitute uh, tofu, fine. Cook up the tofu soup and taste it for yourself. Okay? Now, furthermore, Reverend Saraputra, the Dharma is without taint and free of defilement. He who is attached to anything, even to liberation, is not interested in the Dharma, but is interested in the taint of desire. The Dharma is naturally untainted, but when you desire anything, you're causing suffering. I want is the cause of suffering, including I want liberation. I want liberation. Well, give up the I want part, and guess what? My job is done. Let's close tree leaf. I'll go home. Really? If people could only get that. So we sit, again, the root of Shikantaza. We sit dropping desire for anything but sitting. Sitting is the fulfillment of the desire to sit. You desire to sit and you're sitting. Therefore, your desire is satisfied. And there is not one more thing during the time of sitting to desire in the whole world. Shikantaza. 
And here's the source. The Dharma is not an object. It's not, again, a thing to get. We desire that thing. We're going to get back here in a second to the wholeness of all. He who pursues and chases after and desires objects is not interested in the Dharma, but is interested in objects. The Dharma is without acceptance or rejection. Now, I said at the beginning that Happy New Year. It's an auspicious day. But we Zen people also take it with the equanimity of not pushing anything away and not chasing after anything. Now, people often, again, I got to put my little footnote for people who haven't caught on here. But Jim, Jim, that's my actual name. I said my real name. Wait a second. Oop. That's like Batman saying, uh, Bruce Wayne. Wait a second. I'm not supposed to say, uh, Jundo. Jundo. How can we live without desire or likes and dislikes? And I always remind people in the footnotes, we do both. Over here, no desire. Over here, we need desire to be human beings and, and get up in the morning. I desire to come here and be with you guys. I desire to put my pants on today. I desire. But over here, no desires. No desires. Zero. Zilch. But no desire over here. All satisfied. But over here, man, oh, boy. You know, I know I suddenly want chicken soup for lunch. Over here, goal, uh, over here, goals. I got my two heads of my sides of my brain mixed up. Over here, goals. Over here, no goals. Like that. He who pursues objects is not interested in the Dharma, but is interested in objects. The Dharma is without acceptance or rejection. So, this year, may you have a happy year, but also know the peace of no acceptance. That means no demanding, no likes and no dislikes, as I often say. No rejection, even the bitter parts. And we've had people in 2021 who had some bitterness. And in 2022, I'm sorry to tell you, there will be days that are not so sweet. No rejection. We are grateful for all of it. We're weirdos in the Buddhist world here. We're grateful for even the things that usually in life we're not grateful for. We take them. Over here, over, over here, I'm grateful. Over here, man, it, it, it sucks lemons. But over here, no rejection. And when you put these two together, that's a Buddha's wisdom and the eye, Okay. He who holds on to things or lets go of things, that should actually be he who grabs things or pushes things away, I think would be a better translation. He who grabs things or pushes things away is not interested in the Dharma, but is interested in grabbing or pushing away. The Dharma is not a secure refuge. Okay, now wait a second. There's always a catch 22 here, like getting your chair by not getting your chair. Okay. Finding your true home by not looking, where's my true home? The Dharma is not a secure refuge. Therefore, Shariputra, if one would be a seeker of the Dharma, one must not seek anything at all. And guess what happens when one lets go of the seeking? It is the securest of securest refuges. Because there's no place to fall. 
there's 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 no place else to go that's not this is the great safety net i used to go to the circus and the tra trapeze guy would miss every once in a while and he'd fall in the net you're already in the net indra's net ah i made it funny indra's net we're going to talk about all the different connection you fall out of the trapeze of life and in buddhism in zen you fall into indra's net which you've been in all along which now let's get to the 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 funky chair part okay and again this is i think the, the old zen folks i don't know maybe they were like a little bored too i gotta turn on netflix and watch lord of the rings later because I, yeah, I, 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 it's entertaining. I think this was a way, it's a little bit entertainment, but also it's spiritual entertainment. It's entertainment with a message. I read uh, some Japanese um, uh, manga, uh, comic books, right? Some of them are dumb. I don't like those. They're just stupid fantasy stories with swords. Nah. Some of them are so profound. They're great literature. Great world-class literature because there, there's meaning and there's there's true uh, a real lesson and and learning there it's like that here too don't let the wildness of this hide the message the wildness is a way to convey this incredible let me put you this way some of buddhism if i were to explain this to you straight is as boring as an oil change or, or physics, okay? I've read, uh, if, if you watch a, a video of an oil change on the TV, on, on the YouTube, TV, I'm old, sorry, YouTube, or uh, something about physics, the mathematics, right past me. But if I turn on Dr. Tyson, who makes it entertaining, to discuss quarks and black holes. He's funny. I love it. He's entertaining. Put in some special effects and suddenly the mysteries of the universe become clear. I read Stephen Hawkins book, you know, the time thing. Boy, eh. but give me some of these guys who learned, you know, on the to express it in a way that even a lunkhead like me can get it. And it becomes, I think that's what's going on here. This was a way to get the message across to people who, if you just said it straight, it would be boring as the math and physics or watching a, a documentary about an oil change on your car. That's why it's so fantastic, I think. Okay. So the rich man, Bill Merlikurti, then exercised his transcendental powers. And at once the Buddha dispatched 32,000 lion seats. Tall, broad, 32,000 is one of those numbers which means, you know, just infinite, infinite lion seats. Tall, broad, adorned and pure, and had them brought into Vermilakirti's room, where the bodhisattvas, major disciples, the Indras, Brahmas, and the four heavenly kings, and the others saw something they had never seen before. Now, what are Indras, Brahmas? This was India. The Buddhism, you know, pulled in all the local Indian gods, brought them into the family, you know, to try to enrich it. And but people say to me, I don't get that about all the, the, the Indian gods and 
all the I said, what are you gonna watch later? Lord of the Rings. The, 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 you like it's got dragons. Oh, dragons. I love the dragons and the elves. The elves, I get about the elves. Yeah, and Frodor, he's a hobbit. What's a hobbit? I don't even know what a hobbit is. They got hairy feet. I don't know, but he's a hobbit. That I get. Okay, but can you get this about Indra's and Brahm? No, I don't get that. I don't get that. It, it's the same, okay? It's like the bar scene from Star Wars, okay? All right. And the others saw something they had never seen before, before because the room was broad and spacious enough to hold all these 32,000 lion seats without the slightest crowding or hindrance. The city of Vashnali and Jumba Bibipapa and the others of the four continents, too, seemed to be in no way cramped. Okay, so all these guys are coming. This room, this little tiny room, uh, is suddenly vast, and the uh, Buddhists used to think the earth was flat with Mounts uh, uh, Sumedha. Uh, I'm suddenly having my name problem. I have a name issue. Uh, but it had five continents, okay? It's flat with five continents. So they didn't know everything. So they thought the earth was flat. Some people these days, by the way, I saw the document. Some people still agree with these guys. I don't know. The earth is not flat. But anyway... He, what he's saying is, even with all this, the whole town, nobody's crowded, everybody's fitting in. At that time, Vimilakurti said to Manjusri, sit down in one of the lion seats and uh, grab a pretzel and make yourself at home. And the bodhisattvas and other distinguished persons also sat down. But when they did, they had to assume bodies suitable to the size of the seat. So the Buddha makes them, they're all huge because the chairs are huge. So these guys literally become thousand mile long, big, and they're all fitting in Vermilakirti's room. It's just crazy. Then the bodhisattvas had acquired transcendental powers, thereupon immediately transformed their shapes and uh, making themselves 42 Yo Johannes tall, I'm telling you, that's thousands of miles big, each one, okay? These guys, all right? They, their head would be up to like Jupiter somewhere. You know, they're just way up there. And they sat down in their 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 non-seats. Does it say non-seats? Yeah, they sat in their, or iron seats. Well, it's a non, whatever it says. So, layman, I have never seen such a thing. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, my Buddha, I guess you should say. A little room like this, and still it can hold seats as tall and broad as these, and the city of Vaishali is in no way crowded or obstructed, nor are any of the towns or villages in the whole world. Baba, baba. And their palaces of the heavenly beings are fine, and the dragon kings, we got dragons here too, just like Lord of the Rings. Okay, dragon kings are here. And Vimila Kirti said, ah, Sharaputra, don't make a big deal about it. The Buddhas and Bodhisattvas have an emancipation that is called beyond comprehension. When a Bodhisattva dwells in this emancipation, he can take something as tall and broad as Mount Sumeru. That was it, Sumeru, my name issue. Sumeru is the mountain that's the whole, basically Mount Everest probably, but it's uh, basically as big as the biggest thing in the universe. The whole universe was pretty much Mount Sumeru, and we were living at the foothills of Mount Sumeru. Okay, and he can put it in a mustard seed without enlarging one or shrinking the other. Okay, now, in other words, he's put the whole universe in a mustard seed. You would think the mustard seeds is in the universe, 
But no, the universe is in the seed. And he did this without making one big or small. And each still has its original shape. This is the uh, serious part for us. Only those destined for enlightenment shall be able to see that Sumeru has been put in a mustard seed. This is called dwelling in the doctrine of the emancipation beyond comprehension. Or again, the Bodhisattva can take the waters of the four great oceans and pour them into the opening that holds a single hair. Let me pull one out. And the whole ocean is there. And they mean, they mean really. Okay. Now, even Dr. Tyson might have trouble with that. What does it mean? But maybe not. I'm going to get to that in a second. And uh, anyway, everybody fits in there and all the, the wild creatures, the azures and the dragons and the, the hobbits, and they're all in there. The elves, everybody's in the hair. Okay. And Shariputra, he can take the sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations that belong to the worlds in the 10 directions and make them pour in, go into a pore of a single hair. Okay. Now, First off, about these wild names like uh, Azuras and spirits. So I looked up, where in the brain do we get our sense of dimensionality and space? Right now, you're looking out the eyes, convinced that you're really seeing me, and you know you're looking at a screen. So all you know, I can tell you right now, you're looking at dots on a screen. You know, I know it looks like me, and I'm here, I, I think. But first off, you get the point that you're looking at photons coming off the screen that are going in your retina that are translated into electrochemical signals which go up to your brain. And you are, I'm sorry to tell you this, looking at a model of reality which we hope may bear some resemblance to something, but basically the colors, the dimensions, your, 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 oh, I like. I like Naiko, Vivika, I can't stand uh, Shoka, she's okay. No, Vivika, I was just kidding. Don't take it personal. Don't take it personal. Oh, he's laughing. I just did that because he was sitting there so seriously. And so I was like, I got I to gotta laugh out. Okay, good. Okay. Bjorn, we loved. Oh, Onkai, lo I love you all. Okay. So here we're dealing with Azures and everything. I'm going to run a little long today. I'm trying not to go too long. So I looked up on the internet, but where in the brain do we actually get the sense of time, dimension, and relative size? And here's the, the words I came up with. And to me, I, I understand Hobbit more than I understand these words. Frontal cortex, I got that part. The precunius, the superior parietal lobule and the interparietal sulcus. Okay, so here's what's happening. Zazen is doing something to your interparietal sulcus to make you appreciate size and dimension differently when you do Zazen. And people say, well, I've never experienced this. I don't know if it's possible for everyone. Some people have frankly had it, man, back in the day, you know, when they, you know, were listening to the Grateful Dead, you know what I mean? 
They may have, oh, time and dimension, man, the, the floor is moving, you know, like that. I'm not saying we don't support that. I'm just saying that it also messes up. It's a monkey wrench that gets tossed up here in the between the ears and does things to our vision of space and time. If you do, and I'm, I'm talking from firsthand experience now, if you do Zazen, here's my broken sleeve. <laughs> Please ignore this. I ripped my sleeve today. Please ignore me. Here. Um, are, of course, you get, you've been practicing long enough, you get the idea that the, the separation of this and that and me and you somehow softens. And we realize that my separation from all things somehow softens. But there's also an aspect to it, a taste that I want to call an interflowing. Oh, okay, I get that. The tree outside flows into me and I flow into the tree. Okay, now you're starting to get there, okay? You can go a little further with this. The tree is you in the ground over there and I am the tree sitting here giving a talk. What? Okay. I can make this a little understandable. Everybody raise your right hand and say your name. And you can say, this is, um, right, right hand, this is, let's say Nyko. I'm going to say Nyko. This is Nyko. Right hand is Nyko, right? Well, it's not, it's not somebody else's hand. It's Nyko. Okay? Raise your left hand. This is Nyko. Oh, wait a second. This is like how I am to all reality? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Now, wait, wait, wait. I'm not done, though. Since the right hand is Nyko and the left hand is Nyko, get this. The left hand is the right hand on the left. Oh, wait, my dyslexia is kicking in here. And the right hand is the left hand on the right. Maybe because I'm dyslexic and my problem with names. Maybe it's all connected to why I kind of get Buddhism a little. I don't know. There may be something. I like to say Paris is London, that is the capital of France. And London is Paris, that is the capital of England. And this is how we see all of reality. And it also goes a little further. The famous poem about it all, all space, what is it? Everything in a mustard seed. You know the one, that poem. I'll we'll post it later, right? We actually believe it. And I'm going to go back to my little physics here. I'm not one to say that, you know, Buddhism backs up physics or physics backs up Buddhism at all. But let us do go back to the sim singularity that began supposedly at the beginning of time. I got this from Dr. Tyson, not from the book with all the math, because I didn't understand all the math. This is like, you know, what I get from watching the Discovery Channel. Okay, so it is possible that we think, how is the whole universe stuffed in there? It was all stuffed in there. And then it kind of popped out like clowns from a circus car, you know, and we had the, the great expansion and it went Incredible, like the, the entire size of the visible universe was like in a, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction to the 
87th power of one second, and suddenly the whole universe popped out of the clown car. How did that work? Well, because what we're reading here may be closer to the truth than you think. First off, not everything popped out of the clown car. Something happened where maybe some original something double tripled like like the the cells make a baby when they after conception the cells double triple right 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 that may be a, a, a kind of fundamental factor of the universe somehow not everything was stuffed in there just one thing became two things four things eight things 16 32 64 128 i, I can keep going that's actually that's about as far as i can go but and it did that at incredible speed except who's had a stopwatch, you know, on the universe. Think about this. Time literally doesn't matter because there were no clocks yet. Fast and slow. It's hard to get, but fast and slow kind of doesn't matter if nobody's holding the checkered flag to get to the end. You know, we say sometimes that this is the present, the past was the present then, and the future will be the present tomorrow, just like Nyko's left hand is the right hand on the left, and the right hand is the left hand on the right. Tomorrow is yesterday tomorrow, and yesterday is the present yesterday, which is all the same thing. Now, how big is the universe? Here's another thing, really big, maybe compared to you. But if you step outside the universe, it's not big or small. It's like you know, the old science fiction story. Is it an atom in a giant's kitchen table? You know, the, the like Rod Serling, the Twilight Zone, and we go back, the universe is a, like an atom in the table because it's the giant is sitting there having his coffee and we're all in his table. But there's no giant. There's no table. There's nothing to measure. The universe is neither big nor small. Now, you may feel small compared to the universe. But I, I like to say, is an ant bigger than an elephant? Well, if you get really close to the ant and you're the ant, it's pretty big. And if I put up my thumb, I cover the whole moon. Anyway, I don't want to get into this. I just want to say here that there may be more about size and speed and interpenetration of things and the left hand being the right hand like you are the whole universe. The whole universe. How to put this? Okay. Now, Nyko's left hand was Nyko and the right hand was Nyko. But we also feel all of Nyko is in her fingertip. And all of Nyko. Sorry to pick on you today, Nyko. All of Nyko is in every hair of her head. She's one of the few people here with hair, by the way. All of people here with hair. No offense, Bion, no offense. Happy New Year. Okay. So we believe every part of Nyko is in every atom of Nyko. And that's not so hard to get. If I take a little bit, uh, if I pull her ear, that's Nyko. If I tap her nose, Nyko, all of Nyko, all of Nyko. And this, my friends, is your relationship, your identity. 
identity with space and time. Literally, the, the entire universe does fit inside every atom of you because there's no inside or outside like that. Okay, I started off the year with a little magic and blow in your mind, I hope. That's all I got. Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.